The theme for the evening talk is What's Behind Everything? When we stop to uh, examine uh, our life in the immediate present, we are faced again and again with movements of mind, feelings, thoughts, images, memories, perceptions, various uh, states of mind. We find this uh, movement taking place which propels us to events which have happened to us in the past or might happen to us in the future. We find in this movement of mind going far away from ourselves to other circumstances, places, environments. Views and opinions arise around all of that. Sometimes what's going on with us is, has very little connection with anything in terms of reality as we know it. We find ourselves swept along in various projections, uh, fantasies, uh, ideas, which uh, haven't a hope on earth of ever getting actually actualized. So sometimes in the projections that uh, take place uh, uh, with us, we think they have some kind of link with reality. And sometimes we stop and we see that, in fact, it's just movement of the mind, sometimes pleasurably or painfully entertaining itself. And we wonder why we need to keep on doing that. What is it, what is it that's, that life isn't nourishing and fulfilling enough for us already that we have to actually keep producing pseudo-realities, make-believe worlds and indulge uh, in all of those. And there's something within us, as it were, behind this which does genuinely feel, even in the pleasurable fantasy life that goes on, that does feel um, unsatisfying. And, and we wonder how it is that we keep creating and keep generating uh, all of this. We look at the movement that goes uh, on uh, with us and sometimes we are able to track it back and of course there are various ways that this tracking back uh, uh, takes place. So we may be engaged in some uh, um, um, activity uh, here and then something just stimulates our attention. It may be a, a person or... or uh, uh, food or something outside or whatever. And very quickly we find ourselves caught up in some whole projection about what we just saw or witnessed or whatever. And then we look back and we see in the tracking back that, st that the end result is some kind of story and fixation of mind. We get behind the content to uh, that and then we see that we seem to have grasped onto something and that has produced and generated this fixation, this preoccupation, this obsession. Then we get behind that and we see that there was a force working inside of us, some force of wanting, some force of uh, uh, desire. And if that hadn't been at work, we wouldn't have got caught up in what we're clinging onto and the storyline and the fantasy line that goes along with it. And then we get behind, back behind the story uh, a bit further and behind the desire force and the will that's going uh, with it. And then we notice that there's some feeling initially. That there was some feeling about something or someone or whatever. The feeling became a wanting, the wanting became a holding and the holding became a storyline and a projection and a fantasy and so forth. Then we step back even a little step further and we say, well, that feeling came from somewhere and it came initially from some very simple contact. And the smallest incidental detail of life can touch us, can affect us in the moment from a bare contact. And it could just be, as I say, seeing a person or seeing a flower or seeing a nice piece of uh, uh, food.
food or a rainy day or an uncomfortable posture or somebody sneezes or whatever it might be and it's enough to send us totally on a big spin-off. And we think, how did I end up right out here in the middle of a monsoon in India um, simply because there was a cloud in the sky above me in IMS? And so we see contact. From the contact comes some feeling, pleasant, unpleasant or whatever. From the feeling comes some wanting, desire. From that comes some holding on to something and from that becomes a world which we've just made and just created and just lost our self in. World we've made, we've created, we've generated and, we, and our self gets lost in. Sometimes this happens with such frequency in life and such uh, regularity and such intensity it then becomes hard in the fantat world to actually know what is what, what is actuality and what is what I've made of it. And it becomes in situations which are pleasurable and situations which are painful take some ability in life and some focus to know what have I made and, and what is the fact? Now that applies, applies to anything. You, you remember something that happened in the past and, you're, and there, there's the initial contact and a feeling arises from it. Sometimes the memory of it produces far more pleasure than the event. The thinking about how it was and how wonderful it was and how brilliant it was and how marvellous it was and that was the best thing that one ever did in one's whole life, uh, etc., often happens after the event. You'll see, you'll be on retreat, it was a total nightmare. <laughs> and three months later you'll be telling anybody your bothered mind of people telling them what a wonderful retreat you had. And, and how much you've realized and discovered, uh, etc. So sometimes there is the movement of mind that goes on in the present. It can be, a, from any practical standpoint, a total disaster area. But later on, we have the capacity to rewrite history and to put it in a completely new way of looking at it, putting such favorable light on it, which may not be how it actually was at the time. And when we do that with such regularity for all the various tendencies uh, within, within our, our, ourselves, it gets hard to know how are things actually? What is behind it all? And of course sometimes it goes the, uh, the other, other way as well. Something has happened in the past, you've remembered, some of you have done. You've remembered a painful situation in the past, near past, long time past, or, or whatever. The mind comes in, it remembers that, that difficult time that, that uh, you went through. And the mind convinces itself, it barely questions itself, and it assumes that what is going on in the present with regard to the past, is a pure mirror for it. That one is simply an empty space in the present moment with awareness which is clear, untarnished, uninvested or whatever. And it's just that the old past difficulty in memory is arising and it's entering into the present and one is simply the recipient of it. And therefore the assumption easily takes place with us. This happened to me in the past and now I'm experiencing it. Wow. Very brave person who can draw without even a little doubt a view, a 
position in life, a standpoint, that the present is the pure, clear, clean mirror for events of the past. Because we can't get to the past. What we can experience are feelings, perceptions, images, memories, or whatever. The event is in history. What we have is a mixture of reverberations going on, which include what's going on in the present for us. And sometimes we are, whether we know it or not, a little unsettled in the present. We are, I'm putting it politely, a little unclear in the present. <laughs> a little uncertain in the present. And in the vast spread of the mind, through that vast spread of it, something arises into the present. The current present is difficult, it's troubled, it's unsettled, or it's uh, unclear, obstructed, and the two collide together. And one's got a meeting of the present, and with the so-called, with the past, so, uh, so-called, and one doesn't see or realise that, and one actually believes in one's thoughts about that one is referring purely to the past. Not a hope. Not a hope. Past cannot be separated from the events of the inner life which are going on in the present, whether we know it or not. And sometimes we get the idea in the viewpoint that we have, in the perceptions that we have, that if we keep going to the past, we'll resolve all problems of life, all issues of life, or, or whatever. Every time we go, so-called, to the past, which we can't go to, but anyway, we'll pretend, every time we go to the past, we go with what? We go with a mind. We go with the mind. We ain't going to go with anything else. And therefore, we go with the mind to the past, which cannot be found. which we cannot go to. And in this collusion and misunderstanding of events, then the collision takes place and we find ourselves constantly in struggle trying to resolve our past. Take some awareness and meditation and contemplative life in all of this to say and to be very clear unambiguously clear in that respect, past and present won't get separated from each other. About anything. Past and present cannot separate from each other. That doesn't dispel completely the value of reflection. It doesn't dispel completely the value of learning from the past. It doesn't dispel the value of insights from yesterday or, or yet yesteryear. But the present moment with regard to that has to be abundantly clear that in our turning to what, uh, what was, it really is for insight, it's for clarity, it's for change, and one is firmly uh, uh, of that kind of view and perception. Otherwise, sometimes, we can just keep going to the past, in our meditations, in our daily life, or whatever it might be, telling ourselves that we're doing it to resolve things. We're doing it to be clear about and we may just be, in fact, generating a sustained habit of going to the past with the view that one's actually resolving things. It's a tremendous power of the mind to go to the past and to say, uh, and have the firm intention, it really is for the resolution of it. If it's not for that, it's not worth entertaining. 
not worth the bother. So talking about and thinking about, in this case of events that were, is no indication whatsoever for resolution. Talking about and thinking about is no indication whatsoever that one has any real interest in clarity. And therefore I say the present matters and the relationship of the present, in this case so-called to what was, the relationship matters more than the past, always. The here and now in, in the Dharma teachings is the energy and the life from which we draw out of the here and now, so, so to speak, that that and through that, that is what helps to resolve the past because there's more power and more authority in the living present than there is in the past because the past can be nothing more than images and the present is not an image. Therefore we withdraw on the present if, if we need to look at what was. And these things we need to give ourselves very clear reminders about because as human beings we're very prone to forget and therefore we are prone to deceiving ourselves. Well, I'm trying to work out my old stuff. Oh, please, how many times do we hear this? I'm trying to get clear uh, ab about it. And it may just be that that very language, that very way of talking, isn't coming out of the present at all. It's coming out of a habit, of a way of thinking. So it's a, a, a challenge to us in terms of the past. Sometimes we feel we're sitting in our meditations, we're walking in our meditations, and issues are arising from what was. And then we say to ourselves, these uh, issues, whoever the human being is, and we can go the whole scale here from uh, the Buddha to the most uh, uh, foolish. Anybody who looks at the past could say, well, I could have handled this better. I mean, one's only got to think of Sid, that means Siddhartha Gautama. And, <laughs> and the guy is 29 years old. He's confused, he's, in, he's stuck with self-doubt, he doesn't know, an earth, know what on earth he's going to do with his, his life, and he's got one thing in mind, one pattern, one tendency in mind, flee. And that's what he did. He, he couldn't hack the role, he couldn't hack the marriage, he couldn't hack being a parent, he couldn't hack living in three Palaces. Some of you would wonder why, but anyway, he couldn't hack it. And he called Chan, his uh, charioteer, and, and he fled. Now, I'm quite sure in the period of time afterwards, he probably reflected on all of that and thought, well, that's probably not the wisest thing one could do with life, etc. Uh, et he wasn't the Buddha, he wasn't enlightened, he was confused, terrified with self-doubt, and as he said, he couldn't bear to, as he said in the text, he couldn't bear to pull back the sheet to look at Rahula, his young, weak old baby, in case in doing that he felt so much remorse and guilt that uh, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, flee. So some situations, as I say, we can look at the past, and we can say, well, I could have done this better, I could have handled this better, etc., etc. I could have worked more with this, or there's probably more to learn from this, all these lovely things we say to ourselves. Surely, in any circumstance and situation, with regard to the past, whoever, whatever it might be, surely there has to be some point, like with many other things we've been touching on, where we say, I have given enough attention to the past. Surely, that the insight and the learning that can come from past events 
Sometimes we have looked and looked and looked again and again with ourselves, with others, with professionals, through books, through reflection, through memory. And surely there are times and points when we say, I'm spending too much of my life trying to resolve what was. And maybe the constant attempt to try to resolve what was is actually revealing that I'm caught up in what? In trying to resolve what was. <laughs> and therefore what I need to be thinking, I need to resolve this constant attempt to resolve. <laughs> about anything. And therefore the Dharma says and the Buddha uh, says, not to be concerned with what I was, where I was, who I was, how I was, etc. Clear encouragement with regard to oneself in the past, to be vigilant and watchful about exaggerating the idea of what? Of the continuity of the self. And sometimes we take a look at ourselves and we and we know, we put our hand on our heart, we know we've done enough looking at what was for lifetimes. And more important to look at and get back to what is. Because anything which is going on with what is, if we have the pattern to go to what was, we'll go back to it straight away. We're in the retreat, Somebody mentioned it, quite common on retreat. They, those of you who have been fortunate enough not to have been initiated into the uh, um, insight meditation world will have heard the terms VR and VV. And V doesn't stand for victory here, I might add. Um, v means vipassana. Some of you don't even know what that word means. I don't know either. And... And vipassana generally gets translated as insight, and R means romance. Vipassana, romance. And so sometimes during the course of uh, the days, somebody picks out somebody else, or sometimes somebody has picked out six or seven people or more. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not fussy. And then, <laughs> so then there's the initial, as I said, there's the bare contact. And then from the bare contact comes the feeling, from the feeling comes the wanting, from the wanting comes the attachment, from the attachment comes all the projections, and how they're going to get um, um, married and settle down after the retreat. <laughs> all of this weaving its way through the silence quite innocently for this poor other person trying to do their practice. And then one can feel all of that going on, all, all too human, but then very, very quickly, once again, one goes to the past. And then one starts interpreting it all in terms of the past. Well, it's obviously my, I, I didn't get enough breast milk when I was a baby. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. And, and, and that's, that's why I'm looking for it now or something. <laughs> so any impression that goes, goes on in, in the uh, present uh, moment easily can be the spin or the turning towards the past. And if we've got a habit of that, a training in that, a view uh, to or that, then we're moving in images of the present, in images of the past. And we're trying to find consistently causal relationships between images of today and images of yesterday. I'm not sure whether that is liberating or enlightening. It may, trying to be gracious here, it may help a little. That's been too gracious. Uh, it may help to show some links between the self of the past, so to speak, the self of the present, uh, 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 so to speak. And it may be useful. But what we're interested in is in change and in, in transformation and in looking in utterly fresh ways at things. Similarly, v, the VV, which is the uh, uh, e equally uh, uh, frequent here. And any little VV 
we live like this. We don't realize the degree that this becomes our world. This is what living is. Sometimes there are situations where we, we form the image. Getting behind the image is what teachings are about. We form the image, and the image makes a strong impact and uh, 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 impression. And like coloured glasses, we look at life, or we look at ourselves, through the image. We think the image is it. You know, just if I, dare I say, mention my... Um, uh, their daughter, uh, with regard to this. She um, had been on, uh, she's uh, um, a 18, which if I say anything about 18 year olds, it'd be another image, but, and she'd been on holiday, and she returned home from holiday, and she'd met some young guy from some city in north of England. <laughs> And so they're chatting away over the phone and it sometimes happens the daughter forgets the father is there. And so she's chatting away while I'm reading a newspaper or magazine or whatever. And then she said, the guy had obviously asked her what it was like where she lived. And she said, oh, I live in Totnes. And Totnes, it's a, about 10,000 people there and it's... Uh, it's uh, full of weird people. <laughs> and, uh, and then the guy obviously, what do you, what do you mean? And, and then she describes all these weird people, essentially Dharma people, basically, New Age people. So there were these weird people in Totnes. And then she said, Quite matter-of-factly, yeah, and my dad's one of them. <laughs> and just carried on talking as though, you know, that, that's the kind of reality of who her father is. <laughs> and who am I to dispute, I have to say. So sometimes the image comes here, there. It comes in various ways. We uh, uh, hold to, or we uh, keep, or we uh, 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 sustain the the uh, image that we have. And of course, in that, and of course, I know you well with uh, humour, but there are situations where it's you know it's, it's appalling, it's dreadful. We know that racism and many other forms of images that take place and the destructive factors of it. So in the forms that it takes place, it's an image. And teachings keep reminding us and keep pointing out, this is an image. And the image is not the truth. Image is not the reality. And therefore, clarity in awareness is our capacity, your and my capacity, to be able to distinguish freely and quickly and easily what from what. What's an image? What's a projection? What's a picture? What's a creation of a storyline? And, and what's more of the essential uh, actuality? And to get a deeper sense in our life of, of, what, of what that means. Sometimes in our um, um, uh, situations and circumstances uh, uh, of that, There'll be plenty going on in our meditations, of course, morning, noon and night going on, where these movements are, are taking place. And when they get strong, and when they get intensity to them, the outcome of this is that we feel a certain kind of fragmentation. And there'll be, some of you will know and ex pardon me, experience for yourself this, that we latch on to something, we start focusing on it, whatever it may be, very, very strongly. It seems and is, in fact, at the expense of much else. And as we build that up more and more, it becomes more difficult, more conflicting, more confusing, the effect of which we feel more fragmented. And the tendency is, of course, 
that for the building to keep going, we have to have a very strong belief. And the belief is, what that which I am thinking about, that which I am dwelling on, is the problem. So the problem exists separate from the relationship to it. And the problem cannot be separated from the relationship to it. Just as the past cannot be separated from its relationship to the present, because it's all out of the one mind. Similarly, a problem of life, we think it's the problem, but the relationship and the problem can't be cut one from the other. Why? Because it's coming out of the same mind. And so sometimes we have, as one person reported, an area of our life which we have a very difficult view about ourselves. And therefore there's an an event in our life which is difficult, and then we see its difficulty, we know it's problematic for us, and as some people see and realise, the seeing of it can get problematic as well. In other words, every time we look at something which is unresolved in our life, the looking at it can feed it. The looking at it can be adding to it. And so sometimes it's more important for us to attend to the way of looking at it than to the problem itself. We need to remind ourselves of this very, very strongly. It is more important, often, to be more concerned with the way of looking at something than that problematic something itself. And to ask ourselves as deeply as we possibly can, and it isn't easy, is there a way for me to look at this difficult situation in a different way? We may not get any inner response. We may not, nothing may come up for us which helps to look at it differently. So we go back to our meditations, we go back to our breathing, we go back to the here and now, and then we ask ourselves again, is there a way for me to look at this differently? Am I interested in looking at it differently? Am I committed to it? Do I have the resolve for it? Do I have the real intention for it? And I trust and I believe that if you and I ask that or we explore that with uh, others or whatever, we will find ways to look at something differently. And as some people report, when looking at something differently, the problem in terms of size and scale reduces dramatically. Sometimes the problem disappears under the weight of the change of the way of looking at it. As one of the teachers said, very wisely, the thought of my mother is not my mother. Hardly need to say any more than that. The thought of my mother is not my mother. But sometimes we think the thought of our mother is our mother. We're convinced. I'm, You may have a lovely relationship with your mother. I I actually do. I have a good one with mine. I live in England. She lives in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. She immigrated at the age of 79. I was impressed. Not because of her son. (laughs) Well, she might think I'm weird like my daughter. So, sometimes the thought about in the particularization gives the conviction the way of thinking is related to what's behind the thinking, in this case the mother or whatever it might be. Therefore, we're constantly challenging the status quo of the thought, of the picture, of the story. Sometimes. 
take it a step deeper. We look at our day, we look at our meditations, and hopefully look at our life, and we say, at this time or this period in my life, it feels reasonably well integrated. I don't find myself, I don't experience much in the way of uh, a lot of uh, projections. I don't find myself feeling really caught up in issues, etc. That old uh, fragmentation and uh, confusion seems to have faded away uh, a great deal. And all in all, one looks at one's life, as some of you report, and feel at this particular time and point in one's life, one feels a certain sense of uh, well-being in the moment, well-being with life, well-being in the day. And the movements of mind, uh, helpful, useful, um, unproblematic, and just feelings and thoughts about situations, um, but not moving too far away from the general sense of being reasonably well integrated, reasonably well at home with oneself and at home with the day. Beautiful thing, to, of course, to feel that and sense that and uh, to know that. In the sense and the feeling of, of, of all of that, in a way, it is another way of saying that the self is not featuring in a problematic way so strongly. That there is a sense that we can know and uh, experience, which puts it, not in a cold way, but in a more impersonal kind of way, that sense of the life unfolding itself. Sense of heart, mind and body in uh, harmony together, and, it's, and we're doing what we're doing from one day to the next, and being as clear and as steady and as comfortable with it as possible and therefore accommodating the various issues that go on with our life, health issues, personal issues, issues with other people, or whatever it might be, that there's a sense in that integration of life revealing and unfolding itself, and there's a certain harmony which goes along with it. And sometimes here we can come to the end of the day, and, and, and one takes a, a general overview of the day, and genuinely feel you know, it's been a reasonably well-integrated, harmonious day for some people. In all of that, we might then ask, and it's an important question, and the Dharma, the Buddha, looked at this very carefully, we might then ask, is there anything behind that? Just as when there's problems in, in the mind, we might look, what's behind those problems? And we say, oh, tendencies, patterns, conditioning. We might say attachment, desire, feelings, contact. We might say memory, childhood experiences, or whatever. So we're used to taking an interest, as it were, to look behind what is revealed. It's not unusual for us to do that. We often look at somebody else. People have said in the small groups, oh, I'm with contact with certain people, they are saying this to me, they are saying that to me, but I feel and I sense there's something more behind it which they're not saying. One has to be very, of course, watchful of that particular view because it can get judgmental and conceited. I, I know what's really going on inside of you, etc. Et but what about when we say, what's behind all that's going on with me? in an integrated way. Is there anything behind that? Sometimes we then begin to hear the kind of spiritual language. Buddha expressed quite a lot of concern uh, about this, not that the Buddhists took any notice, but he did. And some will say, oh, behind everything um, is reality, true reality. Behind everything is God. Behind everything is our true nature. 
Behind everything is, what's another popular favourite? Um, um, the ground of our being. <laughs> Christians love this one. Um, behind, the, behind everything is um, cosmic consciousness. That's, that's uh, uh, a new age popular one. Behind everything is my original um, pristine um, awareness. This is a Zodchen uh, one, etc. So we love the idea of something being behind there. How on earth are we going to get to it? We've just got mind and body here. And we want the idea of getting behind mind and body to something, as it were, behind us, uh, etc. Buddha says, you know, I don't know very much Pali language, but this I do know. Avicca pachaya samkara, samkara pachaya vinyana, vinyana pachaya namarupa, namarupa pachaya pata. Avicca, the A is absence of. Vija means knowledge or knowing. It often gets translated as ignorance, but it's, it's a lousy translation. It's absence of knowing. In the absence of knowing, this Conditions, patterns. Avicca, pachaya means conditions. Samkara, samkara means the formations of mind, the patterns of mind. The patterns of mind, samkara, pachaya, vinyana. Vinyana means consciousness. How conscious life gets influenced by the patterns, by the formations of mind. Consciousness then influences. Vinyana, pachaya, nama, rupa, pachaya. Influences, conditions. Mind and body, and vice versa. So all of this is is going on, and then one might, one might ask, what is the knowing? What is the knowing? And so, owing to the absence of knowing, something the patterns get formed. They influence our conscious life. That means our activities, our behaviour, our way of living, and that which influences the body, and body influences the mind, mind influences, they're all wrapped up together. So the, if there is a knowing, that will change all, all of that, all of those patterns, all of the formations, all of the conditions. Sometimes, as I say, we're looking for something behind, as it were, what's in front of us called mind and body, called life, called existence. Buddha's teaching says clearly in an, uh, and don't, no need to look for something behind. No need to build up a spiritual language of highfalutin, high-flowery concepts or whatever. Because what happens is, one starts, for those who are going deeper into these things, one starts to make a gap. And the gap is, oh, I am here reasonably well integrated. There has to be something more than, more than that. This feeds not knowing. The not knowing feeds the pattern, the formation. Oh, there must be something more than that. The feeding of something more than that influences the consciousness. The consciousness influences the mind and body, and it gradually begins to generate more what? More dissatisfaction. Because one feels a gap. Well, I'm integrated, but so what? I feel harmonious, but so what? And, uh, and the gap. For sometimes, for some people who love the Dharma and very dedicated and committed to it, that gap, through the not knowing, through the avijja, begins to reinforce itself and the gap gets bigger and it creates more and more dissatisfaction. We could call it a spiritual dissatisfaction, or existential, or, or, or whatever. And then the mind says, well, if there isn't that gap, are you saying, Therefore, one is just left with mind and body reasonably well integrated, that's it. No. Now what are you going to do? 
Look for something else called God, called truth, called reality, called uh, liberation, called pristine, pure awareness, called, oh, I forget all the others, cosmic consciousness or whatever. Creates a gap. The gap feeds the not knowing. The not knowing feeds the formations. It influences the consciousness. And one begins to feel more and more dissatisfied because one can't bridge the gap which one made. If there's no gap, then it seems and it feels like, wow, poor, all this sweat and tears through years of retreats, and I'm just left with a reasonably well-integrated mind and body. That's what I got. wasn't worth it. <laughs> the contemplation on this is profoundly significant. Contemplation on this is profoundly significant. To want something more makes the gap, and the gap makes the problem. To settle for mind and body is to settle for something less than the best. The mind cannot organize this answer. There is an answer, it's unam unambiguous. And when one knows the answer, that knowing ends the cycle of a vijja, pachaya, samkara, samkara, pachaya, vijnana. And therefore, finally, for some, in the process of this talk, yes, one is looking at projections, looking at the outflows of those projections, attachment, desire, contact I spoke about, getting being mindful and watchful and very aware of and recognizing the interrelationship and interconnection inseparable of past and present, present and past. To actually the stepping back one uh, step further and where is that sense of well integration? Of course appreciating it, acknowledging it, knowing the texture of it, knowing the sense of it. It's a beautiful thing for a human being to know and to feel and, and experience. But that which is conditioned cannot be fulfilling. Yet one doesn't want to repeat the history by making a gap. One has spent one's whole life making gaps and trying to bridge them. Yet neither be satisfied with just harmony of body and mind. May your beings see into life. May all beings see into the unfoldment of existence. May all beings understand knowing. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.